Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. My name is Bree, and author Amanda Cinelli is joining me today. Amanda, thank you for being here. Delighted to be back again for my seven millionth time. <laughs> You're always welcome. It's always a great time. Um, how has this year been for you so far? It's actually been great. Um, I've been quite productive for my standards, <laughs> my, my speed. Um, but yeah, business as usual at home. I've got three young kids. They keep me busy. And then I'm writing... Um, I'm writing the second book in a Formula One series. So I just finished up the first one and I've started the second one. And it's just, it's actually, the hero is a throwback hero from one of my older books. Okay. He was like a secondary character in an older book. So yeah, I'm having fun watching lots of Formula One stuff. <laughs> yeah, you you showed, like you posted something about this on Twitter. Like, where did the idea for this come from? I'm like, I'm so excited. I was like, what is going on, Amanda? <laughs> wasn't even meant to be a Formula One book really that kind of happened afterwards so I started with a new editor last summer her name is Soraya and she is amazing um and basically she said like you know what do you I just finished up the Greek trilogy and she said you know what ideas do you have and I said to her I've got a Swan Lake retelling um but the hero is the swan or I've got a book where it's basically um pregnant for Henry Golding my widow my my um best friend's widow uh kind of thing and she was like okay let's maybe do the Swan Lake one first but I definitely want to see that pregnant for Henry Golding one <laughs> next <laughs> you gotta do that next so when I finished up with a ring to claim her crown um I started on that one and I decided I wanted him to have a different kind of occupation and I'd had it in my head you know I had no idea what Formula One really was. And I was like, it sounds fun. Sounds cool. I could, you know, write a, a silly guy, right? You know, driving around track. That's fine. <laughs> it, as, we, as it is with me, it snowballed. And I suddenly had characters and storylines coming out of my ears. And I messaged my editor and I was like, so what would you think about turning this into a series? <laughs> she was like, yes let's do it she's very enthusiastic I adore well, shout her. out to Soraya because she knows yeah. what we want <laughs> yes, yes that's it um they're quite like I, I hadn't really read any Formula One books um and of course like with copyright and stuff mine is Formula One inspired so it's called something different <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's called the Elite One League um <laughs> but it's Formula One <laughs> so is this like like in the states I think of NASCAR is this the same thing um Kinda, yeah sorta. I think form like Formula One is moving into the U.S. now as well um and it's kind of marketed as like you know slick cars and you know hot drivers and you know celebrities sipping champagne in Monte Carlo so it's made for presents like I like and there's been a few um Formula One themed presents books definitely um so I was just like oh god I want to write this forever <laughs> I could come up with 10 different stories to fit in this kind of world like it's just perfect and um, the backdrop of the glamour you know and and I had the opportunity to read a ring to claim her crown and I feel like there was a slight hint at it 
Was that on purpose? I think it was. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it was. Like there there were some Formula One drivers mentioned as some of the ba- the bachelors. Um, but I definitely I don't think the hero um possibly one of the heroes might have been there. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I was I just I was I remembered you posting on Twitter and then I'm like reading the book and it I get to a part and it's like Formula One and I'm like, hmm, is this a wink, wink, nudge, nudge of like something else is to come? (laughs) I live in my own universe and I just expect everyone else to live there with me. You know, it's like, come along for the ride. (laughs) We're all mad here. Um, Yeah. So So a ring to claim or crown is its own thing. Like it's not going to be part of this new series. I forced myself to make it a standalone. It was so hard. Oh, it was so hard. I could have written... A million stories there is a secondary character in there that possibly one day might get her own story um but B? yeah I, I okay. forced myself to keep it a standalone because I knew I was going to write this um kind of racing world series trilogy mm-hmm. um so yeah it's for now it's just a, it is a standalone but there might be um I might get to write B's story someday <laughs> like with yeah, this I think, I think someday B deserves a romance just saying <laughs> no I, I pressure presents, presents authors do that they they'll just call back to a secondary character and that's what I'm doing in in the book I'm writing at the moment like this is a, a character who was mentioned in a book like five books ago so you know we can make our own rules <laughs> I love reading books like that series where it's like you're trying to follow the breadcrumbs and find, well, did they get a story? Do they get a story? Should I email yeah. this author and harass them to make this character have a story? <laughs> Has this character just like never left your mind? I mean, cause you just finished yeah. a series. So is it, is it like, I know I'm doing a series and, and I need a character and it's like, Oh wow. I never ex- like explored. <laughs> I never gave this person their own book. Like what was it? He's been haunting me. Um, his name is Tristan Falco. And he mm. was mentioned in The Vows He Must Keep, which is the first book in my Avalar siblings duet. Um, and he's the guy that the heroine, you know, takes to the big yacht opening um, just to kind of taunt her, taunt the hero because he's nemesis with the hero. Um, and when I finished that duet, I started writing Tristan's book. And it just wasn't right. The heroine wasn't right. I was forcing it. And then the Greek trilogy happened. That came at me like I had to write it. Um, and I just kind of put it on the back burner. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do. But then um, when I realized I was writing a female uh, racer, um, I was like, oh, this is her. <laughs> this is his heroine. Because yeah. he's a rake. And she's... She's a wallflower technically, but she's like a ferocious athlete. You know, she wants to win a championship. But yeah, I won't get too into it. But yeah, the, he's getting, he's, he's met his match. Basically. He's getting his book. <laughs> he really is. In the biggest way possible. Well, tell everybody, I mean, it comes out in August. So, I mean, I just feel like everybody needs to read this book. It is like, it's so presents. Like it is what we come to presents for, but like, give us your spiel on a ring to claim or crown, and then we're going to get into it. Um, so I pitched this book to my editor as the 1994 animated Swan Princess movie, 
but he is Odette. So the hero is the swan. Um, and she was like, yes. And then as we kind of got into it, it's kind of, it, it ended up being a little kind of nod to Princess Diaries 2 as well. So it's it's got the dreamy fairy tale prologue where um, the heroine and the hero have been forced to spend each summer together for many years. And they've been betrothed by their parents. She knew, he did not know. And then so it all comes to a head and he ends up being kind of exiled from her kingdom and disappearing for 14 years. And she just gets on with her life. She's busy. She's an archer. She goes into the Olympics. She wins gold. Her mother is very kind of progressive and is like, you go be a, an athlete and you come back and be be queen when you're ready, babe. So <laughs> I love yeah, her. I loved her mom. <laughs> yeah. So um, the book starts with um, she's um getting ready to launch kind of a week-long celebration it's her mother's coronation anniversary and it's her mother's 60th birthday um but nobody knows that her mother is about to step down voluntarily change history of their tiny kingdom and Minerva um is going to become queen so but in order for her to become queen she has to prove that she is planning to marry find a husband, you know, settle down, have the whole traditional image a little bit because she's been such an untraditional, she's been such, she's been branded as quite a rebellious princess, untrustworthy, flighty. So there's a whole kind of campaign to stop her from taking the crown. They're trying to get someone else to inherit it or to take it. Um, so she's, she decides, even though her mother kind of says, you don't have to get married. She's like, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do the one traditional thing I can do. And she asks her mom to invite a load of bachelors to this week-long house party, basically. Um, <laughs> and she's giving a speech and she looks out into the crowd and it is him. It is the, the boy who ran away 14 years before, but he is not a boy anymore. He is a very big, burly man. Ginger pirate. He's got a big ginger beard. Um, he's very he's tattooed. He's very large. Um, so... I had an absolute ball writing him because my husband is a ginger. He's got a very big ginger beard. So <laughs> there's a little inspiration there, a little nod to a love of the gingers. Because um, I don't think there's enough ginger heroes in Presents. You know, everyone's tall, dark and handsome. You know, I'm yeah. like a little love for the the pale redheads, you know. Nero <laughs> um, was just, he was, he just left off the page. He was stunning. I was like... I, yeah. I can totally imagine you. <laughs> oh, I went for it with this one. I just wanted to write something that was a complete love letter to, you know, everything that makes me swoon. And I, I really did it. <laughs> yeah, this book, this book really feels like and, and we're gonna we're gonna chat like fairy tales, but that's exactly what it feels like. And I, I feel like a lot of times when when we describe presents to people, we're like, oh, it's like the fantasy. It's the fairy tale. And I yeah. feel like there are tons of presents that are I mean, presents always lands on the fantasy. But not all presents are doing the fairy tale thing, which is totally fine. But yeah. when they do, <laughs> when you read this book, it's like, oh, she really leaned into it. And it just, you you understand why it works. How did we land on Swan Lake, the, sw the, the Swan Princess? Like, how did you, were you watching the movie and it came to you? Or like, how did you land? Because it's not really um, like a Disney 
princess movie that's discussed that much it's not it's not even a disney movie um i forget who made it i like i was a 90s kid this was one of my favorite movies and um, myself and my cousin jessica we used to watch this over and over again and kind of that opening sequence as well that's always stuck with me and the soundtrack and just all the characters i don't know how many times i watched this movie as a kid and then i think i tried to get my kids to watch it I think that's how it came to me that mm-hmm. I tried to get my kids to watch it and they were just like not really interested because it's like very old school animation but I just remembered how much I loved it and I wrote down a little kind of snippet of an idea and I also I, I it originally had started out as a different story for Minerva she was supposed to be a very different character in a different book And I realized that that wasn't going to work for her because she needed to be a queen. She was not going to be anybody's princess. (laughs) She was, she was in charge. Um, so it kind of, most of my books come together that way where I think I'm writing something and it ends up being like the character is saying, no, that's not working for me. Um, but by the time I actually started this book, it was what it is now, which is very unusual for me. And I think it was that kind of reset button of finishing a trilogy with my last editor and then starting with a brand new editor and just kind of knowing I was writing a standalone, knowing I could write whatever I wanted. There was no rules. And I knew I wanted to write something very kind of summer love, um, fever dream, you know, just like pure romance swoon after swoon after swoon. So I knew the vibe I was going for. And I think having that kind of framework always helps me of knowing I'm kind of paying homage to something, but mm-hmm. it's very different to everything in, in the Swamp Princess movie. Um, but there are some markers and I wonder, did you catch them? Like even in the Swamp Princess movie, there's three little kind of uh, side characters, sidekicks. And the, the main three bachelors who, who Minerva thinks she is going to choose from are completely based on those three sidekicks. Okay. <laughs> Even down to, like, one of them is a, an Irish kind of army guy. Another one is, is a French model. Um, and then there's an actor. And, like, they all have, they're all very, um, oh, no, wait, one of them was a prince. I, I forgot, I changed them so many times. <laughs> um, but I had so much fun. I think I'm probably the only one who found that as fun as it was because it was like I loved it I was like I I didn't I've never been one to like watch The Bachelor I've watched a couple of episodes but I was like this feels like this should be reality tv like this feels like it should be The Bachelor The Bachelorette but it was originally that's the one thing I had to change and it it, it was the choice to change so originally I said to my editor I want this to be like The Bachelorette it's like the royal reunion bachelorette I want her to have to choose from them publicly. (laughs) I was just going for it. I went too far. I reached too close to the sun or I flew too close to the sun. You did great. Um, (laughs) So she just, they they kind of toned me down there because in presents, like we don't really do the whole reality TV thing as much. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of pulled that back because it worked a lot better as well, motivation wise for her mother, for her kind of, you know her her heartbreak um of her just saying to her mom you know you just find me somebody to marry I know I'm not going to ever fall in love again anyway so just find me anybody and then oops her mom invited her ex-fiance her exiled ex-prince ex-fiance pirate turned pirate (laughs) 
Oh no, mom, what did you do? Kind of like going along with the idea of fairy tales. What do you think it is about the royalty aspect that readers, and I think specifically presents readers, like it just, they marry so well together. Uh, And one thing that I think is so special about this book is that, um, I mean, Lero has his background too. And I feel like, I almost feel like, because, you know, Presents is the home of the alpha hero, right? And Lero is very much the alpha hero. But Minerva is very alpha too. I was like, are we gender swapping? Are we like swapping the roles here in this book, Amanda? Because her (laughs) character felt very much like this should have been Lero. Like she was like, I'm going to do what I got to do. And like, not like a coldness to it, but like, it's a duty thing. Like as the future queen, I am supposed Mm -hmm. to have a husband. So let's do it. Like it is what it is. (laughs) And I was like, you don't see this a lot. Yeah. Like she was quite, um, she's just quite not cold about it, but she's just resigned to it. And she's already had her, her career of choice, which was archery. Mm-hmm. And she chose to, to come back to her kingdom full time. And she's choosing to take the reins early and do the right thing for the kingdom she loves, the people she loves to serve. Like she's very, she hasn't grown up being told it's her duty. She's grown up watching her mother be an amazing queen. And that I think that was really important to the story because she's watching a woman lead and she's kind of going wow like that's going to be me and I want that to be me it's not that I have to because I think very often in the kind of royalty lines in the royalty plots what you would see is um you know it's duty and it's like a an unwanted duty and it's a cage and it's and that's definitely how Lero felt um yeah. as the youngest prince of a failing kingdom and that's why he wanted Minerva to run away with him when they were 19 and um, when he found out about their um, betrothal, he wanted her to choose him for him. And he didn't want them to have to, he, he just did not want to be royal. And he wanted them both to run away. And it was this horrible kind of push-pull moment. Um, and she chose to stay because she knows who she is. And he didn't really know who he was. So that's, I think that's why he had to leave and he had to grow up. And it was tough. <laughs> he had a yeah. tough, like he just, he was royal one day and then he was like living in the belly of a ship <laughs> with no money and nothing um, and had to rebuild himself from the ground up, which is my absolute favorite kind of hero to write. Can I just say, I love a downfall and a scraping himself back to, you know, life. It's like fall <laughs> from grace. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and he built his own fortune, which I love. And then... You know, he's just coming back to check on her because he's still, you know, he's not good enough for her. <laughs> he's just going to check on her. She, who's she trying to marry? How dare she try to choose another person to marry? <laughs> <laughs> has to check them all out individually, one by one, to see if they're worthy. And um, God, everything about it is just like my, everything that I love about romance. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like, it's so swoon worthy from like beginning to end because even... Like there's a moment where Minerva doesn't realize it's him, but then she does, she is doing that speech and that moment where she's like, holy shit, that's him. You're like, yes, girl, it's him. He looks completely different. Like when they fell in love first at 19, he was this skinny kid, you know, bare faced. Um, And he's returning very, very grown up (laughs) with a big full beard and sunglasses, which makes it completely okay that she didn't recognize him. 
<laughs> I agonized over that a bit. I was like, is this too much? Oh, I but loved the sunglasses. Like, <laughs> you, had, you hadn't seen somebody in 14 years and you didn't want to see them again. You kind of dreaded, you'd looked for them, but you dreaded seeing them again. And, you know, you, you were heartbroken. I think you would kind of deny for at least a minute, like, that's not them. I'm seeing things again because she'd done it so many times over the past decade she thought she'd seen him or she'd hoped to see him and she'd berated herself for kind of pining for him because she doesn't pine you know she doesn't yeah. she it's below her <laughs> you know? Minerva, she's, she's tough girl she's, she's, she's tough yeah and then I, I think that comes back to her kind of parent situation her dad left and her mom was a, a single mother queen a strong single mother queen and um, who refused to remarry um, so I think, yeah, I like kind of drawing upon stuff like that for characters. I like playing with, you know, how our childhoods affect us. And even if you're a princess, <laughs> yeah. you can still have trauma <laughs> and it's still going to affect your decisions and make you a bit silly sometimes. And I think that the the trauma in this book, like Minerva's with her dad and Lyra's with his father, are so, so well written. Like you understand how their relationships with their parents and what has happened has shaped them into the people that they are. But they it didn't feel heavy like sometimes the trauma in a presence can feel. Like, because yeah. I think with Minerva, it's like she has this awesome mom. Like, you kind of forget that her dad was, you know, he, I don't want to say a douchebag, but he did what he did. He, he walked out. And <laughs> yeah. Lero, like, he, like you said, he kind of found his own family and worked his way up and now he's successful. I mean, that wound is always, always there, obviously. And he, he definitely yeah. believes he has that belief of like, I'm not good enough because of his dad. But then also just like, I think coming back and reconnecting with Minerva kind of like softens that a little bit. Like it just felt a little light, but it did what it was supposed to do at the same time. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I think that was deliberate on my part as well, because I I had a vision for how I wanted, like I've said it before on the podcast, like when I am kind of dreaming up stories, I see them as like a movie in my head. So um, as I was dreaming this up, I could almost see the like, you know, like what was that song that kept, I kept playing while I was writing it? Enchanted by Taylor Swift and oh, yes. Golden Hour by Jake, you know, all these kind of songs. I wanted a very dreamy kind of vibe and summer. Oh my God, Amanda, I was, list- I could hear Golden Hour playing in my head while I was reading it. I did not know <laughs> I've got lots of promo planned, hopefully, with all of all my TikToks that I haven't made <laughs> with that song. But yeah, that's the kind of stuff. And then there was Teenage Dream by Katy Perry. I listened to that as well. Um, an acoustic version of it, which is gorgeous. Um, so like I really wanted this this to be like a book for teenage Amanda, who like would have yes. adored this book and would have read it ten times over. Um so yeah, I think I wonder. I wonder do other authors do that where they write books for different versions of themselves? I hope so because I can imagine teenage you rereading this over and over. It'd be like all yeah. ratty and falling apart. And I adored it. I would have swooned over it and just imagined you know someone being betrothed to marry me and asking me to run away with them. Um, yeah, I would have done it though. I would have run away. <laughs> I am. Okay, I have to share like two of my favorite scenes and you have like, I need you to tell me about them. And then if if you have a favorite scene, I'd love to hear it. But like, first off the prologue, 
I just made this big note and I was like, it's a summer garden party that changed everything. I loved the prologue. The prologue really felt like once upon a time in a land far away. And then the scene at the end where she goes and gets him. Oh, yeah. She's like, so maybe I overreacted a little slightly. (laughs) It was like, I cried. And then she gets across to the other ship and finds out like he wasn't actually going anywhere. Like it was a little bit of a misunderstanding. And I was like dying laughing and crying at the same time. Like those are just like two of my favorite moments. Like, Yeah, it's so dramatic. I absolutely, I had so much fun writing that. I really did. So tell me about the prologue. Like, did you write it? I, I hear a lot about authors write the prologue after the book. And then like that fi- that scene at the end, like, tell me about writing those. I, I definitely wrote that prologue first and it was way too long. Um, And my editor was like, oh my God, I adore every word of this, but we are going to have to cut it down. It's like... <laughs> It's like 20 something pages long, Amanda. It's way too long. Some people don't even like a prologue, but it was a necessary prologue because I don't like writing, you know, chapter one and then chapter two is a few 14 years later. I feel like a prologue, especially because I wanted it to be that kind of dreamy fairy tale teenager prologue. Um, So I crafted it very deliberately. And what, what I had in my mind was that intro of the Swan Princess movie where um, I forget the song. Oh, it's typical that I would forget the song, but there's a song um, that is playing and like they meet as kids and they hate each other and they just like tease each other. And then it goes to them being like, you know, middle schoolers, then they're teenage, they're preteens, they're teenagers. And then they're like, you know, it's the time that they have to get engaged. And then they see each other and it's like, oh my God, everything changed. But in, in the movie, in the animated movie, it's very superficial and Derek sees Odette she's become the swan you know she was this awkward little duckling and then she becomes the swan and I knew I didn't want to do that I knew I wanted it to be based on kind of Minerva's preconception of Lero and his very kind of withdrawn introverted nature and she's so extroverted and she's so adventurous and brave and he was quite quite a fearful nervous um, child and teenager and he didn't talk much at all um and she became his voice almost but I did have to cut down that prologue a good bit and um, there was a lot more backstory I wonder should I share the extended prologue at some stage <laughs> because <laughs> that might be interesting for readers to get the full but I do I shared it I, I, I wove it in later on like there's a horse riding scene And I wove in a little bit more of kind of what went on during those summers because they had, I think they had five summers or four summers together before the summer where they got together. Um, So she kind of brought him out of his shell. But there was a line in the movie, in the animation movie, that was, um, he, she, Odette says to Prince Derek, what else is there? Because he says, of course I want to marry you. You're beautiful, you know? And and he says, she says, "Um, what else is there? Or no, she says, what else? I'm beautiful, but what else? And Prince Derek says, what else is there? And I knew I needed to get that in the prologue. So yeah. I have that, um, I have Lero ask Minerva, um, you know, you think we're, we're good together, but what else? 
you know, like, why, why do you suddenly think that we would be, because she's trying to say to him, you know, just go ahead with the elopement. You know, we, we clearly will make a good couple and it's been arranged for so long. And, you know, I'm sorry you didn't know about it, but, you know, I didn't just kind of fall for you this summer just because of the elopement. You know, I do think we work well. Um, but I, so I really wanted to get that line in of what else is there? Because, but my editor did kind of say, you need to make sure that she doesn't come off too harsh. <laughs> Because, you know, him being like, you know, what else do you like about me? And her just being like, what else is there? Because um, she says something about, you know, we're great in bed, clearly. You know, we, we, we have physical chemistry, sexual chemistry. Um, and he's like, is that it? <laughs> but again, her, her kind of past with her father and her fear of being left like her mother was left or t- roping someone into a, a royal marriage that they don't want to be in. Um yeah that's kind of why she said you know what else is there it's going to be fine you know just go with it and he's like okay and that's when he runs away <laughs> yeah it, it felt years. like it felt like um one one of the things that i have come to really love and respect about like the royalty romances is there's usually a character who like i think minerva even says it at one point like for this relationship to to work she would have to keep her emotions at bay or, or, at, or at a distance. It yeah. feels very duty and business-like, like this is yeah. what I have to do and like there's yeah. no emotions involved. And I really loved that Lyra was like, uh, no, <laughs> that's yeah. not how we're, we're going to be doing this. He's um, been in for so long at this stage. Yeah. He's just like, I can't be with you and I'll have you. It will kill me. Right, um, right. He's so, he's so sensitive. <laughs> so is that like is is that like a I don't want to say a key part of like writing the royal romances, um, but I guess especially like as time changes and we we keep seeing more of them, like hmm. I don't know, I I, I don't yeah, like I, feeling like it's like that, but I also love yeah. seeing them like that. <laughs> That's the perk of them, you know, because like you're. It's almost like a bridge between contemporary and historical because, you know, in contemporary, when you're writing a presents that's, you know, a boss and a, a, a PA or a billionaire and um, whoever else, uh, it's kind of like you're, you're in the real world, you know, you're in like you're, you know, it's a it's an ethical, hot, amazing billionaire every time. But like you're in you're in kind of a, a contemporary adjacent world. But I feel like um, when I write royal romances, I feel like I'm writing more close to historical, but in a contemporary veneer almost because it okay. feels so old world. You know, you're, you're bound by these very, very specific rules that we can't relate to. And I think like that's why you know, if you're reading like a secretary or if you're reading, you know, a housekeeper or someone, you can almost put yourself in their shoes. But when you're reading royalty, you're almost reading a complete fantasy. It's, I think it's the furthest up the scale in the presents fantasy kind of realm, because like I've created a fictional kingdom, fictional royal, fictional history, fictional weaponry, everything about this world is completely it doesn't exist you know it's this little island in between Spain and and Algeria and it's you know completely fabricated so I just felt so free writing creating all these different little bits of you know food and culture and history and 
I just think that's a lot of the draw for these royal romances because they're always fictional royal kingdoms. I don't think I've ever read a Presents that was set in a real royal kingdom. Um, have you? <laughs> I don't no. think it <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. It's it's complete fantasy. It's like we can do whatever we want. We can create everything. <laughs> so it's like you're playing real life Barbie dolls. <laughs> And that scene at the end, can you talk about like how it came to you? Like Minerva literally, he's like, oh, so you just call your armada in on me? (laughs) I'm like, of course she does. She's a presents heroine. (laughs) Yeah. Like I knew, I I, I had an idea of how I wanted to end it because I knew they were going to kind of be like, spoiler alert, but they, I knew they were going to be kind of ending up in the same situation again where they had to get married really mm-hmm. um and she really wants to get married but again he needs her to choose him he needs her to know she doesn't have to marry him so I felt like him giving her a little breathing room was appropriate and then when I thought of her watching his ship sail away into the distance I just knew what she would do and yeah. I was like yes <laughs> I had so much fun writing that scene. I knew I needed her to do more archery. So I fabricated a weapon that was going to get her from one ship to the other involving her archery skills, um, which I really loved. I just think she's so badass for a heroine. She's probably like the most ferocious heroine I've written. I love writing heroines who are just, you know, I love writing very different heroines with every book and challenging myself. Um, But she is so different from me. There's, there's nothing of me in her. I think that's what was very freeing because I felt like I was cosplaying as this adventurous, brave queen, you know? Like yeah. it, it was just so liberating. <laughs> she was okay, very so fond. I like that, those moments with the archery, especially at the end, I was like, I mean, it felt very Merida from Brave to me. Yeah. <laughs> Merida is like one of my favorite princesses so I'm like oh yeah. my god this feels like a brave moment and she's you know Minerva's using her other passion to like get what she wants I loved yeah. it you are not leaving me again how dare you <laughs> she's just like we are having this conversation now <laughs> don't you dare and then there's like this this little thing that you this little moment you put in there I think it might be in the epilogue but I, I'm always like, am I, do I feel like these two people are going to stay together kind of thing? And like, she walks into the room and like, he helps her take her crown off and he massages her scalp. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> that is love right there. Cause nothing feels better than that. <laughs> but that yeah. is a very intimate thing. He is, I think I've, I've come into myself over the last few books where I know the heroes that Amanda Cinelli writes. And like, Lero is a very quintessential Amanda Cinelli hero. Um, yeah I, I really enjoy writing a hero who's like very alpha very capable um, very strong but also very sensitive very tuned into their partner's needs you know love languages therapy yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's done the work he knows he knows what he did wrong before and he knows how to not fuck it up again <laughs> sorry for the cursing no oh. you're fine <laughs> so okay let's let's chat some fairy tale stuff now so like looking back on your life was it Disney like when do you when was your like introduction 
maybe I, I think about them like I didn't know fairy tale retellings were a thing. You you grow up, you watch Disney, they're the fairy tales, and then you grow older and you're like, oh, that was based off of something else. But like, were you yeah. reading them as a kid? Was it Disney? Like, what was your introduction? I was definitely reading them as a kid. I was a, a very early reader. Um, I kind of taught myself how to read before I went to school. And I used to read all the little ladybird books. So there was The Princess and the Pea and um, The Frog, Princess and the Frog and all those kind of books. Um, so I loved, I loved fairy tales. And I was definitely a Disney princess kid. I adored them all. Every Disney movie I loved. But I think my favorite was Aladdin and Jasmine. They were definitely high up there I adored the, I, I loved Jasmine as a character I didn't even care about the rest of the story <laughs> I just loved all of her scenes and I loved seeing her kind of stand up to her dad and you know figure herself out and all and I loved the the red outfit in the <laughs> in the hourglass yeah so like the the I think Katie Robert had the book the desperate measures where it's a retelling of that I gobbled that up that was amazing <laughs> Um, <laughs> that entire I love the villains also I have a thing for Disney villains a little bit I do love Disney villains um so I'm like I'm half princess half villain <laughs> so <laughs> and there's no villains in this book really there's kind of a, a background villain um so I do feel like I need to lean into that eventually in the future and write more evil characters you know oh pure, it's gonna be fun to see what you do <laughs> I struggle with those you know I, I always try and see the good in everyone and I'm like Amanda that's not going to be entertaining when you keep redeeming your bad boys before they've even become bad or done anything bad stop doing that <laughs> so with Tristan Falco I'm trying to do that um but the yeah I think I I do love oh I love Tangled Rapunzel that's oh that fun. one was so fun I, still, I could rewatch that a million times over like I think all these fairy tale retelling movies for kids, they're just really written for adults. You know, yeah. we just, we let the kids watch them so that we don't have to explain ourselves. <laughs> I don't explain myself anymore. I tell my kids, I'm like, look, mom's weird. It's okay. We're all weird in this family. It's, it's amazing. Let's just be ourselves. <laughs> and now mom, we have this whole Disney adult term. <laughs> God, I love it. I don't think I'm a Disney adult. I definitely think I was more of a Disney kid. Yeah, I love yeah. I'm like a Disney mom because I'm re-watching it through my kids. Like, you know, the um what's the one where it's the villains, kids? Oh, series. Descendants. Descendants. My oldest was uh, obsessed with that. All the songs, all the different movies. We had all the costumes here, all the dolls. <laughs> I love it. Um again, the villains. They are there's just something a little special about the villains, I think. <laughs> I I'm one of the kids unfortunately died. I'm I'm forgetting. Was he was he Cruella's yeah. son? I think he was Cruella's son. I yeah. can't remember. But oh, that was heartbreaking. I was like, no. I know. And they but they finished all those movies and they will live on. Yeah. Um yeah. I loved I loved all of the songs. I loved the arcs. Like I think the the Disney kind of princess movies, they always had had like even the old school ones, they had fairly kind of good arcs for the the princesses who were kind of like I know they always kind of gave more um <clears throat> they gave the better moves and the better kind of hero moments to the the princes or the the male leads but I think um I definitely think they've progressed like look at like Frozen I remember seeing Frozen for the first time I was in labor on my first kid 
I was like sitting in my mother's living room. We watched Frozen. Um, and I was like, by the time it got to the end, I was like, oh, she saved herself and her, her sister saved her. And there was no like, you know, saved by, like, you know that like she was almost about to be saved by True Love's Kiss. And then there's that twist. And I was just like, yes, this is the, yeah. these are the movies I want my kids watching. And that's why I think like writing a character like Minerva, I always think of my girls reading my books when they're older. And when I'm writing them, I want to write books. I don't want to write something that I'm going to be like, don't read mom's books. Don't, don't, don't take lessons from mom's books. (laughs) So, but I think I can stand by, I can stand by all of my books, I think, in terms of strong characters, uh, growth, that kind of stuff. The things that I enjoy reading. I feel like, um, I feel like in, especially in romance and and in category, I feel like the princess whose story we see retold the most I guess it's kind of a toss-up between Cinderella and Beauty and the Beast but I see a lot of Cinderella what do you think it is about Cinderella that makes it something authors want to explore or like give her a different story like what do you think it is I think it is it's the pure it's the fantasy of someone just coming and saving you you know like that fairy godmother idea where you could be in the worst situation you could be whether it's you know a, a financial difficulty or emotional difficulty or troubles in, in the home and someone comes and gives you this complete you know new world they they give you this gift of freedom and you get to live in that freedom for a little while. Because I think most of the Cinderella retellings, you know, they have the, you know, the clock strikes midnight and everything goes back to whatever it was before. And then, you know, either she has to find him or he has to find her. Um, I think that's the fantasy. It's the, the fantasy of like being saved or having that being taken away from, you know, your normal everyday life and having this little window of pure fantasy amazing fairy tale um and then the drama of it being taken away you know it stops the the night comes to an end or someone runs away and then they have to crawl their way back to finding each other I think that's that's what I love in a Cinderella retelling um and I love seeing you know the little guy win (laughs) I love love seeing the penniless (laughs) character crawl their way back up and get that amazing life even if they struggled or you know like I, I love seeing that that arc being done. I, that's why I like the Cinderella retellings. And what do you think it is about, because like, like I said, I think it's a toss up between Cinderella and Beauty and the Beast, but I think Cinderella slightly has Belle a little bit beat. But what do you think it is about that one? Because there, there are so many, like you said, you said you love Aladdin and I'm like, I loved I Aladdin. Why don't we see more of Jasmine? <laughs> I know, like I can't believe I said Aladdin when I absolutely adored Beauty and the Beast probably more than anything. I just completely blanked on it. I think I, I love Jasmine, but Belle also, you know, it was like a toss up between them both. But because Belle was a book nerd, I, I related with Belle, you know, and I, I in my head, you know, as a dramatic kid, I was like, you know, oh, I'm everyone thinks I'm weird as well. And oh, everyone's talking about me that I'm that weird girl who's around town. <laughs> you know? I totally had that like in my head fantasy. Um, but Belle, Beauty and the Beast kind of scared me a little bit where, you know, she'd be going through the woods and there was wolves and it was a little bit scary. But I think that paved the way for my love of the paranormal hero. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the the shifter. Oh, my gosh. The Beast. <laughs> that makes total sense. 
looked like an actual monster because when he turned back into the prince at the end of that movie, I was like, sorry, what? Excuse me? Who is that? Who yeah. is that? You kind of fall in love with him as the beast. <laughs> oh, I wanted him to go back. And then he does go back, I think, in, in the, the second movie. He's just the beast again. Because I think they quickly realized, like, no, we actually... Like, if you fall in love with someone as the beast, it defeats the purpose of having them magically transform into someone else. Yeah. Um, you fall in love with someone's quote-unquote ugly, you know? When they, they see themselves as broken or you know, wrong in some way, whether it's, you know, external or internal, um, or it's like a barrier that they've built between themselves and the world. They've locked themselves into a, a castle of their own making, um, and they're they don't want to be a part of the real world anymore for whatever reason. Um I, I love that. I love the the wallflower character falling in love with the beast character. I absolutely adore it. <laughs> yeah, I I for there's you know penguin does their like editions of collections or whatever and there's one like the penguin book of like beauty and the beast health i'm pretty sure it's edited by maria tatar tatar it's t-a-t-a-r and she does a lot with fairy tales and um i remember getting it and reading through it and in some cultures, I feel like it was in France, but I may be totally butchering that. But beauty, yeah. the the fairy tale was told to young girls um, in preparation for arranged marriage. Like you may get matched up with someone who you don't find attractive, and like that's in some cultures what that was told to was told for. And I just right. think a lot yeah. about like how much when we think of like our kind of introductions to fairy tales a lot of times it was disney but that was also someone else's interpretation of Of an older of an older story and like i I hear a lot of romance readers now are like we want something weird like we want you to go for it and so like i was i was like reading i found this article online that was like um about like how to make fairy tale retellings unique because they're like a big deal and like part of it was like get to know the source material like how important to you as a writer do you feel like that is because I mean for one it could be hard like Little Red Riding Hood is probably my favorite but every culture has their own version of it I mean the Middle East has their own version Native Americans had their own version so but how important is it to you do you think? Well I think like for for a ring to claim her crown, I looked at both the Swan Lake, the Tchaikovsky musical, the, the ballet. The ballet. I was like, what's the word? Um, I looked at obviously the, the animation. I looked at the original kind of mythologies, and I also looked at Irish um mythology, Irish folktale. That's how I came up with Lero's name. So in Ireland, there's the Children of Lear, um, which is a a myth about a king whose three children are turned into swans by a a witch, I believe, I think, or a a cranky village lady or something. (laughs) And they have to keep flying from, um, they're cursed to live forever as swans. Um, So when I was coming up with Lero's name, I wanted to give him a completely fabricated name and I chose Lear, which is L-I-R, and then I just put an O on the end. (laughs) love it okay (laughs) my little nod to the irish mythology but i think um a lot of the source material does not stand up to today's kind of storytelling standards and especially in terms of consent a lot of it's really dark really dark like really dark like isn't i think it's it's either sleeping beauty or it's snow white where she's 
assaulted and she gives i think it's sleeping beauty, sleeping beauty yeah she's in a coma um cinderella like, like somebody's feet are cut off <laughs> yeah like when you look at the actual like i think i'm quite happy with the creative license that various artists have taken over time over the past few hundred years um to make these stories a little bit more palatable but i think that's the nature of storytelling because at the time when these you know stories the fairy tales were probably created and told they were probably told orally the the oral tradition would have been you know and and it's more of the time where things maybe the children needed to be scared to survive um and standards were not uh very high in terms of consent especially for women and i think it is good to take the parts we like and cut out viciously the parts that we know we don't like and we don't agree with yeah <laughs> and we can also I think that that's the beauty of like retellings in general you can kind of twist them and weave them and you're you're it's like you're you're taking a little bit of the yarn from the original story and you're just weaving it through your own creation you know and um, like that's what I did with my mythology trilogy each book was a nod to a different Greek myth but they were completely new completely my own and um, but I think we like I think as readers we're drawn to retellings because the framework is there and I think as writers we're also drawn to them because there's there's a comfort in it there's a comfort in knowing you're reading a beauty and the beast in noticing like oh i'm reading i I definitely think that's a beast character or that's definitely a nod to snow white and the seven dwarves you know like it's these little comfort markers and then it's exciting because you're like where are they gonna go with this like what what are they gonna do different this is crazy um that's where i love them i love reading them (laughs) over and over and over especially like in the world of category like I feel like presents and uh true love I feel like that's where I see um them kind of reflected the most um does it I guess now I'm kind of like what's the difference now in 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 that in our world of category lovers now sometimes the fairy tale almost feels like a trope like if I see it on the cover of a book I already know what to expect like it feels like oh like if I read something I'm like oh that's a second chance romance if I see Cinderella I'm like okay I know the beats of what is going to be in this story does it yeah. feel like that for you or no yeah like it does feel like especially I think in terms of marketing now like we market these books as tropes so much more because readers want to know what it is straight away you know readers don't want to have to read 17 pages before they understand what the story is about they want to know this is a pregnancy story this is a reunion story it's a beauty and the beast is a cinderella again because they want that comfort like they want to put in their order and receive exactly what they ordered so yeah i think it's i i I like it because i know as a reader like i read a lot and i buy a lot of books and I am a discerning shopper you know I'm looking at the the back I'm looking at the blurb and I'm going "Mm, no don't like that (laughs) like this don't like this (laughs) I'm very cruel I'm like no hate that trope love that trope Um, and I think we're all kind of like that romance readers are so particular we know what we like we know what we don't like so I know like if I'm going to put out a Cinderella themed story I'm going to like people are going to know I don't like Cinderella stories I'm not going to read it and I think that's really valuable like that's something valuable that categories do that a lot of other lines don't do at the moment a lot of a lot of like single titles you don't know what you're getting a lot of the time um sometimes but that's why I love those little marketing pictures where they have the little lines and the taglines of, of all the tropes 
I adore them. You know, where they're like best friends to lovers, enemies to lovers. And it's just like every trope, like a little buffet and they've covered. So you in the know middle. exactly. Oh, yeah. Love it. It's like reading a takeout menu and you're like, yes, <laughs> that's what I like to, to read. And um, so I think it's good. I do think so it's So when good. you pick one up, are you drawn to it for like what hits you first? Is it like um I am coming to this because it's that it's familiar, like okay, it is you know, it is a beauty in the beast for telling. So I know, I know what that is. Or is it like with the Katie Robert one, like, oh, I want to see what you're going to do different with this thing that's familiar. Yeah. Like I think as someone who loves um, an enemies to lovers story or a, like a villain story, when you read outside your genre, like I think it can help people to become a little braver because I know I've read paranormal. I've read, dark romance based on the, the familiarity of the beauty and the beast trope because i'm going into a new genre like i'd never read dark romance before I, I i'm pretty sure that desperate measures was my first dark romance because i think it was definitely one of the first and like what a one to start with <laughs> my god it's hardcore um and it's like you know jasmine and jafar um which was immediately like I was like okay I know I, I can I can picture it you know it's high concept you can picture that in your head um which I think is what draws me to it um because I don't like going into a book knowing absolutely nothing but I know some people are the complete opposite and they hate knowing anything because it builds an expectation mm-hmm. and I suppose like if you're someone who adores Cinderella romances and you pick up a book with the expectation that it's going to be a perfect Cinderella retelling and it's like, it ends up being a very loose, which a lot of the, the presents um, retellings tend to be very loosely themed. You know, they're not always 100% true or even maybe even 50% true. Um, so I think it's probably possibly a double-edged sword <laughs> where it's like, it's familiar, but if you're going in expecting it to be a, a beat by beat retelling, you're going to be disappointed a lot of the time because... As, as writers, we often want to do it very differently, <laughs> sometimes to the point of just like completely untangling everything and piecing it back together. Well, I'm thinking I'm just talking about myself now, <laughs> my process. I'm like, rip apart the myth and put it back together backwards. Um, Are there any that you think would be like too difficult to do? There was one that I thought was too difficult. And when I've seen, so there's a book, where is it? It's in my notes. There's a book called Claimed in the Italian's Castle by Caitlin Cruz. Mm -hmm. And she pitched it. I think she wrote a tweet or someone wrote a tweet about it being a retelling of Bluebeard. And I was like, I was like, Bluebeard? Bluebeard. I know that one. And I looked up the the folktale and I was like, no, how? How could she make that sexy? How could she make that romantic? I was like, I have to read this just to see because this is crazy. And I read it in two hours. I could not put it down. It was like a fever dream. And I was just like, I finished it. And it was one of those moments where I was like, how did she? Like, I was both awed and I was furious. (laughs) I I was like, how did she do this? How did she make this such a... Like it, it was a fairy tale. She turned Bluebeard into a proper fairy tale retelling, um, which it's a gorgeous book. If you if you haven't read it, it's lovely. Um, but apart from that one, I think all the other ones that I've kind of thought up that came to my head were quite. They've been done a few times. Um, mm-hmm. 
I don't know. Do you have any that you would like to see that you haven't seen? Fairy tales. Give me some ideas. Uh, <laughs> I'll write it for you free. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, I don't know. Cause I just, cause I know that there are so many out there, but we've just kind of like, we're there. The ones that we have obviously are like classics for a reason, just because they work so well. And it's almost this question of like the ones that we don't see represented that much. Is it because they really wouldn't work well? I mean, they're also not like you, they, like you said, they started with like oral traditions, right? So like they weren't the longest of stories. Um, I don't know. Like I always think, right. I think of like, uh, I don't know when I, I called myself watching once upon a time that, fairy tale tv show and i was like yeah i, I feel bad that. for rumpelstiltskin why doesn't he get you know somebody needs oh. to write about him have you read wicked on the wallflower no. by sarah mclean that's a retelling of rumpelstiltskin okay it's really good you need to read it it's really good. so it is there it exists it always exists like everything exists in romance i think that's what i love it's like do you what what itch do you need scratched you were gonna find it in this genre um, but you said you said you loved Beauty, or no, you said you loved Red Riding Hood. Oh, I love Red, Little Red Riding Hood, yeah. One of the ones I was going to talk about, the Heidi Rice, she wrote, there was a, did you read the books, the Passionately Ever After series? It was, no, um, I heard that Presents had like a whole was, series about this. I think actually that's why I wrote uh, A Ring to Claim Her Crown, because I seen that being advertised and I was like, oh, I want to be part of that. <laughs> Why didn't I get to be a part of that? Um, so, <laughs> so I wrote that. That's what I choose to, chose to write next. But um, yeah, the A Baby to Tame the Wolf is um Heidi Rice. I love Heidi Rice's books. Um, and she literally wrote like Little Red Riding Hood is the heroine, and she's dressed as Little Red Riding Hood. I forget why. I think she's an actress or a character, like a, a children's character, and she has to go to her sister's fiance's apartment to break up with him for her sister. But she falls asleep in his bed. Oh, so he, like, <laughs> Jack Wolf is the billionaire, the big bad billionaire. And he comes in and he gets into his own bed and he finds Little Red Riding Hood in it. Oh <laughs> but what gosh. I love most, so like they they um kind of have a little altercation and she leaves and he has to try to track her down. And he tracks her down to her, her grandma's little cottage in the woods. <laughs> and i don't know how she did it but she ended up getting the scene where like the hero the, the big bad wolf is wearing her grandma's nightdress <laughs> gosh i need I this book that, like oh my god what a fantastic like so good so good and i think um, that's my favorite because i'm like that that is very much i mean i think across all cultures that tell it at the at the core of it it's about being careful wandering into the woods alone and i'm like even as a woman a 36 year old like i don't go anywhere after a certain time you know if i oh, yeah. do have to go to the store i park close to the store yeah. i don't want to walk too far like yeah, i feel like we, we operate as little red every day <laughs> yeah yeah so it is kind of the fantasy of like the big bad wolf ending up being a really hot british billionaire yeah <laughs> <laughs> why not why not? not? <laughs> <laughs> well, I only had like I jotted down three books that immediately came to mind. So the first one, I was like, I forgot I read this book. So this was years ago. It's a YA. It was The Wrath and the Dawn by Renee Adier. And it was an a thousand one 
Knights. Is that what it is? Retelling Shahrazad and I'm blanking yeah. on the hero. Um, but I loved that. I really, I remember loving that book and there was, I think two of them. I didn't read the second one, but I just loved her, the whole premise of like, he, he kills the girl that is sent to him his room, like every, every like dawn of the next day or whatever. And like, she's the one that escapes it. Cause she's like telling him stories. I loved that. Um, and then from true love, I read Cinderella's forbidden prince by Ruby Basu, which just classic cinderella it had like sometimes i read true love books that have these like moments where i'm like this feels very much like a cousin to presents like they have those fairy tale moments that the lines are kind of blurred and like she had like a secret garden scene in this book too that i loved and it's set on like this fictional island near india and the, the heroine's like an art conservator and there's the prince and he's very much i gotta get married for duty type deal but he falls in love with her it was great and then This next one, I don't think the author intended for it to feel Cinderella-ish. It's a Mills and Boone historical, uh, conveniently wed to the Laird. And it is very much a Cinderella story. The prince, like, rescues her from this, like, abusive marriage that she doesn't need to be in. Like, he, the, the her husband at first is like, if you can buy her, you can have her. So he, like, buys her to, like, give her her freedom and get him, get her away from this guy. Um, but of course it's an historical, right? So your reputation and all of that. Um, and like all she wants is her freedom. I'm like, I was just remember reading and I'm like, this is like Cinderella, but all she wants is to be free. And it's like, it was just so fantastic. So I think sometimes even if authors aren't intending it to go a certain way, us as a reader, like if you've seen it enough, you're like, oh, this feels Cinderella, but like, this is what she, this is her desire at the moment. And it was, it was great. So those are the three that I bought. What did you bring? Um, well, the one that the first one was Heidi Rice, A Baby to Tame the Wolf. And that was in the Passionately Ever After uh, series, miniseries. There were all eight books released in July 2022. And then the second one was also in that collection. And it's um, The Kiss She Claimed from the Greek by Abby Green. Um, I remember Abby Green telling me about this while she was writing it. And she said, I'm writing Sleeping Beauty Billionaire in Scotland. <laughs> and I was like give it to me now and I've never like I try to be professional okay because it's like you get to a stage where they feel like you're you're not just colleagues anymore you're friends and you go on writing retreats and all and I just kept being like is that book out yeah when's that book out yeah (laughs) can I have it please I eventually got my hands on a copy but it's like the hero is like a Greek billionaire he has like a a hiking accident on this Scottish uh, island and he gets amnesia and she works in the hospital. <laughs> she, I can't remember exactly how it happened, but basically she wakes him up with a kiss um, and he has no idea. He forgets like he's come from like quite a traumatic. He has he, he has a lot of trauma in his background and the tortured billionaire, you know, but he wakes up and he has no idea who he is. So they have this beautiful fling in Scotland where she takes him home to her little house and they kind of fall for each other. And but then kind of, you know, reality has to come back where he wakes up, you know, he he gets his memories back and they go back to Athens. And God, it's a gorgeous story. Really recommend that one. And then the last one, where is it? The last one I was going to recommend is Beauty and Her One Night Baby by Danny Collins. Mm. It's actually the second book in a duet. And the first book was... What was the first book? A Hidden Heir to Redeem Him. 
Um, so it's about, it's called the feuding billionaire brothers or something about feuding brothers. So the first book is one brother, second book is second brother, but they happen at the same time, which I love because that's one of my things that I love reading. I love seeing that as like a, a plotting thing. Um, and it starts <laughs> with the line, her water broke. Oh gosh. <laughs> like you're thrown right in there. Um, but I just loved the way Danny made it um kind of a kind of a sleeping beauty um homage because the heroine actually has she obviously gives birth straight away in the first chapter in front of the hero who realizes like first of all she's pregnant second of all she's in labor third of all like he's the father in the first chapter (laughs) (laughs) which i love as well um and but i love that um the heroine had postpartum depression and that kind of became almost like a, a metaphor for the the sleeping beauty part and I loved how Danny handled it I thought it was handled so well um and I loved the whole connection with the first book in the duet like I think it was a really tightly written duet I really loved it um but it, that's that's another one it's it's kind of a, a, a thinly veiled sleeping beauty homage you know it's it's not too beat by beat um you could almost you could almost miss some of these um being fairy tale retellings unless it's one of your things you love and you look for it yeah um because like if you don't if you've never read sleeping beauty you're not going to see sleeping beauty in the book you're just going to read it for the characters you're going to read it for their story um but yeah again it's that comfort of seeing those little and it was almost kind of like he was a little beauty and the beast as well like he was a little bit he had a kind of a beast about him um, an internal beast that he had to slay. <laughs> that is one that I, I think I would like to see more. I would I would like to see done more. Like give Princess Aurora more agency and just something yeah. something other than what she originally had because her story was kind of awful. <laughs> and even I think like I don't know how much I've seen of like Snow White. I don't think this one isn't it. Like yeah, I don't, I actually don't know if I've read any Snow White because you'd have to have a Wicked Witch and you'd have to have being hidden away from someone like I mean it could be hmm, I could I could write that one <laughs> see okay <laughs> no pressure Amanda just say <laughs> but I was thinking like you know I think do you think our idea because right the big thing I think when you think of fairy tales is like it was like this morality thing right and yeah. I wonder if our idea of what a fairy tale is has changed. Like I got approved recently for an arc of a book coming out in December from Berkeley. That's basically a a retelling of the wizard of Oz. It's like the fairy tale life of Dorothy Gale. And I'm like, the wizard of Oz for me was one of my favorite movies as a kid, like very much a fairy tale, right? Like I could consider that a fairy tale. And I'm like, Hmm. Like I remember um, Terry Wilson, who writes for special edition, but with, I think source books, she did a retelling of 101 Dalmatians. Um, oh, and I'm yeah. like, I love that movie. So do you think our yeah. idea of the, of fairy tales in general is kind of, because ch- we are seeing more retellings of things. Yeah. Well, I think like fairy tales um, and myths were always intended to pass along morality, definitely to pass along kind of the cautionary tales and, that's why like there's always that central theme of even like in the wizard of oz there's there's no place like home you know the the whole purpose of the story is to teach you a lesson you know to take you on the little journey and teach you 
that one little piece of a lesson and I actually think that's definitely something I unconsciously just as I'm speaking I'm like I do this in every book (laughs) I have like a lesson and I'm trying to not beat my reader over the head with the lesson of like you know (laughs) but trust yourself or your your worth is is more important than anything else or all these different things um so yeah but I think I think when we retell them we're reinventing them and we're keeping them alive you know because they're 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 usually human stories they're usually stories about family they're stories about loss or they're stories about growth um survival you know if you want to pin it all down to one word like little red riding hood is a story about you know survival (laughs) safety trust the big bad wolves of the world and so I do still think they have a place and I do think it's really healthy and really good to see artists being able to reinvent them make them their own and fine-tune them because like society is always evolving things that were once okay change with the times and our stories have to change with them otherwise we're we're wrong you know we're not doing a good job so I think it is um it's comfort it's keeping it's like you have to find the balance between the comfort of the familiar and the kind of excitement of creative freedom (laughs) yeah well my like moral from a ring to claim her crown I think was Lyra really harped on Minerva about like really choice like yes it's it's part of your duty but I Mm. want you to choose me yeah. Because you want to choose me, not because of duty. Um, yeah. And I don't know, maybe I, I guess in a weird way, it's like, always remember you have a choice. What would you what would you say it is for you? Like, what's the moral of the story for you? Yeah, I think it was that he, he believed, he believed that love, he believed that he wanted love more than anything. And she believed that love was dangerous. Mm-hmm. And that it was safer to have you know a marriage of convenience and he craved love so much because his mother was the only person who ever showed him that kind of unconditional love for him for who he was even though he was quite a unconventional prince he was a a very soft uh sensitive um he had like you know learning difficulties all these little things that his father berated him for his mother adored him for and told him that he was perfect just as he was um so i think he craved that but he also didn't give that to himself. So he took on his father and his brother's bullying and kind of seeing himself through their eyes. He f- forgot how his mother seen him. So I think like for both of them, it was learning to love themselves and believing that they could have the choice um, mm. and that being together, they could be together anywhere. You don't have to, it's okay to change your plans for your life. You know, like Lero did not think he was going to go back to royal life. He did not think he was going to marry a queen, but he did for love. (laughs) And in a weird way, okay, listeners, I promise I'm trying not to spoil it here, but Queen Uberta, Minerva's, I can't want to call her Min because that's what Lero calls her, but Minerva's mom, she was in a way the fairy godmother. Yeah. There's there's a scene where she's like, well, of course. And you're like, oh. You knew this the whole time. (laughs) But instead of like swooping in and just saving the day, she sits back and it's like Minerva's journey. Like, I'm not going to step in. I'm going to let you figure this out. 
because she knows her daughter she knows if she said to Minerva I think you should give your ex-fiance a second chance that her sorry that was my bell if she'd said to her daughter like I think you should give your fiance a second chance um Minerva would have just been like no (laughs) not a chance (laughs) definitely not so good she's so headstrong (laughs) so good well before we get off here I mean you talked a little bit about like the next series like current work in progress I mean, you may have shared it already, but just remind us like what's coming up next from you, what you're working on, and then tell everybody where they can keep up with you online. Um, so coming next, 2024 is going to be the year of motor racing for Formula me. One. So my series is called The Fast Track Billionaires Club. There's currently three books slated in. I'm hoping to get them all releasing in 2024. Um, so the first book is releasing in January 2024. And it's called The Bump in Their Forbidden Reunion. And it is <laughs> it is a baby-making deal with his best friend's widow. That's the, the official tagline. <laughs> okay. um, the overall plot. I have tried to explain the overall plot a few times. And I mess it up every time because I want to tell everybody all the subplots and all of the twisty little bits that I've put into it. And that's not how you're supposed to market a book. <laughs> basically the heroine is Irish which I adore there is two whole chapters set in Ireland which I absolutely had so much fun writing and because she's Irish Irish like I've written a Brazilian Irish heroine before I've written an Irish heroine in Italy who'd been living there for a while I've had quite a lot of you know part Irish or Irish uh moved expatriate Irish um, heroines or heroes um but I this one she felt really Irish to me and there's so many little pieces in it um but the book actually starts in Switzerland and our heroine is at an IVF clinic at a, a reproductive health clinic an elite reproductive health clinic in the Swiss Alps and she is about to finally have her dream of getting pregnant with her dead husband's sample which he left to her as a gift. Um, something is not right because everyone's very quiet and everyone's very nervous looking and she's kind of sitting there on an exam table and in bursts a man she hasn't seen in two years. It's her dead husband's best friend who they're kind of an enemies to lovers vibe and he's like, did you do it yet? Did you did you, did you go through with it? Um, and she's like, what's, what's happening here? <laughs> um, and it turns out that uh, her husband lied that it wasn't his sample he had roped his best friend into oh my god and made a deal with his best friend because an accident had happened many years before that had led to him not being able to have children of his own um but for many reasons he needed to have a child and he told her that they were going to have a baby and yeah so she had no idea and they end up getting snowed in (laughs) oh i love snowed in It's like I've I've fit so many tropes into this book. It is an absolute roller coaster. Um, but yeah, I love it. And he is he's a daddy hero in many ways. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say. And I really had fun with the um baby making deal part because I've never written that before and I don't think I've ever read it before, where in a presents, you know, they actually sit and they're like, We're going to deliberately sit and try and make a baby as platonic co-parents yeah <laughs> we're going to traditional way 
because, you know, romance reasons, we're not going to do it the medical way. We're going to do it the traditional way, even though we don't actually like each other. Yeah. So I had so much fun writing this book. Oh, my God. Um, (laughs) It sounds so much fun. I'm really excited for it to come out. Um, And then there is a good bit of kind of Formula One driver. He's he's recently retired, but there's a, a charity race that happens every year in this racing world. I tease the heroine of the next book. And then, yeah, I'm writing the the second book in the trilogy um, and I possibly might be writing a short to kick it off but I'm not sure if that's going to go ahead or not if it doesn't go ahead I will write it as a newsletter release okay um, I have an idea for like a short a short little teaser a free a freebie <laughs> to kick things off with a boom so yeah I'm all about the racing for 2024 and I'm, I'm just I don't know where I'm going to go after that because I just seem to go from <laughs> <laughs> most weird wacky ideas but that's what I love to read in presents and I, that's why I love writing presents because you can just write anything really yeah you can set them anywhere you can take them anywhere <laughs> you know I would yeah. I, I, I in one of my recent chats like afterwards uh we were just talking about like what the author you know and his we were talking about like reading and what people are enjoying in romance. And and she was like, I feel like a lot of stuff people enjoy reading on KU is like the baby of presents. <laughs> She's like, yeah, it's it really so bonkers is. in presents. Where do you think it starts from? And I'm like, that is talking so true. <laughs> I'm trying to tell especially, people all the time. <laughs> especially like the dark romance and the mafia romance. They're just writing presents. <laughs> I'm yes. telling you, I'm a tip on my shoulder. Um, but no, <laughs> they're able to go a lot harder than we can. But whether that's it's kind of a mixed bag, you know. I think the 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 real draw of presents. I've said this before. Is like they've been going for so long. They've fine tuned the editorial process. They've fine tuned the marketing. You know, it's a product that is going to kind of stand up every time. Um. And I think sometimes what bothers me about some KU books that I've read recently is like, because you get the page read and um, some of them can be really long and I'm, yeah. I'm reading it and I'm like, you should have cut the scene out. <laughs> Who edited this? <laughs> Look, I've become a total snob since falling in love with category. I'm like, girl, this did not need to be 350 pages. <laughs> so hard when you're a writer and you're trying to read and like, I try actually to read a lot more kind of paranormal or historical because I just get so, especially when I'm reading other presents or when I'm reading um, anything that's presents adjacent, I'm reading it through the lens of a, a writer. And I'm going, why did you make that choice? Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's the motivation here? <laughs> Where is this going? <laughs> do you read a lot of true love? Like, do you ever feel like they are like almost co- sisters or cousins in a way? I did years ago. I think lately I read more historical the historical line or the presents line and I always liked a little bit more inside the bedroom action and Mm -hmm. I would get kind of well I think some writers can do it amazing even if they don't go inside the bedroom they can get that tension I think like you know like a really slow burn tension where you're literally staring at the page like oh my god just kiss already please like put me out of my misery um I used to love reading the medicals as well um but I tend to read a lot more non-category because I write category yeah (laughs) like I'm I'm reading a lot more like monsters um stuff like that rom-coms I'm trying to get back into reading more rom-coms they're so fun they are so fun yeah 
So where can everybody keep up with you online? I am mostly on Instagram for the most part. Um, And then I dabble in TikTok. (laughs) I struggle with the TikTok notification system. I feel like it's a flawed app. (laughs) It doesn't show me. If I repost something now and I add a comment to it, I get a million notifications of like strangers liking my repost. And I'm like, how do I make this not happen? (laughs) Because it looks like I have like 15 notifications, but I have zero of my actual content. Yeah. (laughs) Really hard to to get visibility on TikTok without like paying for it and stuff. But yeah, that's just me venting. Sorry. As a, as a, as a working professional. (laughs) I think that's I think that's the best way to describe it. I'm like I dabble. I feel like I'm I'm a dabbler as well. Like they want you to pay for everything, and I'm like, no, I draw the line. Okay, no. (laughs) (laughs) And can how can everybody like sign up for your newsletter in case you do drop that short as a freebie? Yeah, I have a Substack, um, and it's if you go onto my website at amanda-chinelli.com um you can sign up to the substack there or it's love love comma amanda on substack Um, and my link tree is in my instagram bio and my twitter bio and not on tiktok yet because you have to have like a thousand subscribers on tiktok (laughs) so if you don't follow me on tiktok please help me get my link tree on tiktok i think i'm like 60 60 subscribers away or something but i'm just like oh I'm so tired. I'm so tired of social media. It's exhausting. <laughs> moment, I can't even imagine for you guys as authors. Yeah. It's, it's because it's, I'm it's scrolling, watching like cat videos and like pimple popper videos, and I'm tiring myself out watching other people's <laughs> content. <laughs> I'm too tired to make my own. <laughs> <laughs> I guess like I, I'm, I'm at this point now where I'm like, what do they? want you all to be there for obviously it's for like promotion but it's also like almost like you have to show yourself as like a likable person or something like people subscribe to you right and then they'll just watch whatever you post because they like you and it's like but it's a it takes a lot to like like build that yeah, it's like you're in a window and you're dancing in the window going, hey, 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 look in my window. Right. Come check. <laughs> and then my window is just full of weird, me just doing weird sounds, <laughs> <laughs> making the odd sexy promo, being inappropriate. I'm okay with that being my brand. That's totally fine with me. Like, I'm like a bridge between a rom-com and a, and a spicy category. So you are. Fine. That's where I live. That's where I live. Little weird, little spicy. It's fun. I like it here. (laughs) I've carved out my space. (laughs) 